Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to listen to the Waterline podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. People ask me all the time, Shane, what's the future look like? Are we going to flourish? Are we are we going to drive ourselves to extinction? Are we going to destroy everything? Are we going to create heaven on earth? A big part of that incredibly complicated question is water. Water is absolutely fundamental to life. And knowing what is going on with water, the various technologies, the economics, political, social, behavioral, technological, and environmental aspects of water around the globe is really fundamental to understanding questions like that. And if you guys are into science and learning about things that affect our lives and the world, which I know you are, I believe the Waterline podcast is for for you. I just finished a episode called Water for All Regulation all about comparing the different regulations in different areas like the Israeli water law passed in 1959 and comparing how their system of of regulating water compares to California's model of regulating and how We might work together to figure out the best pros and the cons of different systems all around the world. Very, very important stuff. Please check out the Waterline podcast on your Android app and at the iTunes store. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading. So I mentioned this in the outro last week. Today I'm going to be talking with Jono Zalay, my good friend Jono Zalay, about cocaine addiction in, um, studying cocaine addiction in in uh, in the lab and uh, in rats and mice and such, and so we already covered this topic before, or, or I wouldn't say covered it. We we set up some of the fundamentals of of drug addiction and that sort of thing before. Uh, we had Foster Olive on the program um, a few months ago, which was a really really great episode. And we might have him on again still as well. But so we, Jono and I both listened to that episode before, or I listened back to it rather, and Jono listened to that episode before we recorded this one. So we were able to go a little further in depth in this episode. So if you are skipping around, which um, ho- hopefully you're just listening to all of them in a row, <laughs> that's ideal. That might be a little too ambitious. If you're skipping around, that's fine. Just wanted to give you a heads up. If you are skipping around, you may want to go back and listen to the Foster Olive episode first. I think it will help um, make things a little clearer in this episode as we get a a little more involved. Not a big deal. Um, I'm sure you'll follow along just fine. Either way, this is a super fun episode, so enjoy. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast today. Uh, 
a good old friend of mine from Boston, John Ozelay, is is joining me. Thank you, John O. For, Thank you, Shane. Uh, uh, coming on the show. Uh, a comedian now, but used to be a scientist and uh, now has a science podcast. This is actually this weird trifecta because we're <laughs> actually in... Andy Woods um, House, who, who you're, who you're crashing podcast. with, who's a, a really awesome, um, smart, super funny guy, and has a podcast, probably science, um, mm. that I've been on, and um, and is uh, is a real good time. And um, it, your uh, your podcast is called Universe City. Universe City. And we also have uh, the same authors of our podcast theme songs, I think. Mike and uh, Zach did yours as well. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. Mike Kaplan and Zach Sherwin. Yeah. yeah. Those, those guys are podcast theme song machines. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, that was the second uh, second podcast that I've had that I had Zach um, do the theme song for. Oh, nice. And, um, and, and, and it's funny because people will write and... Uh, uh, be like my favorite part of your podcast is the theme song <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of a bittersweet um, uh, compliment funny. that they like the first 30 seconds the yeah, most but just uh, zone out <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh it's it's uh it's good uh, are, are you happy with your oh uh, yeah my <laughs> uh, my podcast theme song is great it's it's very uh i don't know it's kind of steampunky in a weird way it's like a very old school jaunty tune uh that zach but they're so good at it like that's I, I don't i'm not surprised that that's people's favorite part because like zach and mike are really good at that kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. so it's uh you know kudos to them uh, um uh so you used to first off we met in boston how many years ago uh, like eight eight years ago yeah that like sounds that. about right and you were still a, a scientist. Yeah, at the time. I was. I was a scientist the whole time I was in Boston, which was six, 2006 to 2012 is when I was in grad school uh, for neuroscience at Boston University. So it makes sense that you're doing a science podcast. You probably didn't envision me doing a science <laughs> podcast back then when I was mostly blackout drunk. <laughs> well, you were doing your own field research on, uh, <laughs> yeah. on science in your own different way, experimenting with different uh, kinds of chemical substances. I still do. I'm still a researcher. Hey, you got to. So you studied um, cocaine. Yeah, I uh, not specifically the drug, but like more the behavioral and cognitive elements of it. So, I did tests on in a also in a preclinical model, the same way that Foster Olive did their previous. Yeah, you may want to listen back to uh, for for this just so we can get maybe a little more in depth and specific on this episode. If you listen back to Foster Olive, which would have been I don't know ten episodes back from the time this was released, we set up kind of a foundation. Of, uh, of how drugs what, work and, and what goes addiction. on in the brain yeah and for drug addiction and like it, yeah it was a great episode i loved it um so good job to both of you and like he he does or he described it was a preclinical model meaning like working with animals before it gets to like a human level of testing so i what i looked at was what regions of the brain were responsible for learning to no longer associate cues and context with drugs and drug craving and stuff like that so like hmm. it's it's kind of a <laughs> how to get the like the rats off cocaine once they were on it ah. basically so there's like a treatment technique 
potentially is is like um what's called exposure therapy have you heard of that at all no so i mean not in this context yeah, like, like there, this, there are, this is like for for fears and stuff like that people will put like similar. a spider in a jar or whatever mm-hmm. to yeah so exposing yourself to something that gives you an emotional reaction and in hoping to reduce that because it like affects your life like if you're afraid of spiders and you want to expose yourself to them so you're no longer you know squealing like a little sissy Every time the spider <laughs> yeah, yeah. comes into the room, then that's one way of doing it. So for drug abuse, you uh, put. L- let me guess. You put cocaine in a jar. <laughs> you show it to people. You're just like this. Cocaine can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine's just jumping at the edge of the the, the glass, ah! trying to get in my trying to get in your nose. <laughs> you know. Cocaine normally descends down from the wall and, and creeps into your nose late at night. Yeah, we have, Same a, way we have a pest do. problem. There's yeah. just cocaine <laughs> creeping in everywhere. So, but uh, so, yeah. all kidding aside. Right. So when you're exposing like drug addicts to like uh, certain scenarios, you're, you're basically showing them because like, when you're when you're um, addicted or not even necessarily addicted, like. I like will get certain cravings for beer when I'm in a bar. So like when I when I'm in a bar at a comedy show or an open mic, I'm like, oh man, I could really go for a beer right now because that's when you generally have it. It's associative learning. You associate that cue in context with this behavior that gives you pleasure, or, or t- depending on what other other emotional reaction you have to it. So you have a you know emotional reaction and sort of craving for that in that context. Mm. So, is is there also a, I, I've heard a lot of things and if you don't uh, if this isn't your area or don't know anything about mm-hmm. this that's fine but is there as far as the associative and 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 seeing drugs in context I've I've heard that oftentimes um, like alcohol dependency will be so context um, or, or even not even dependency tolerance will mm-hmm. be so context dependent where. People, if, if they go to the same bar every day and mm-hmm. say, drink a 12-pack er, sure. er, every day, and and they might be very functional, mm-hmm. and then they go and are at a family gathering and they drink that same 12-pack in a different context than what they're used to, it, yeah. it, it, it has like a kind of a different effect or their tolerances. It's sensitized. Like, they're, yeah, so like their tolerance is no longer, their co- tolerance is context dependent. So outside that context, they're more just reactive to the substance uh so so like yeah it, it basically that kind of takes you back to your baseline or makes it even more um potent the drug of that you're using like um is it is it almost like um i don't know if this is a silly metaphor but like home court advantage like like the way the, the brain has it's like okay i've learned this behavior in this context and i'm very comfortable in this environment and yes. i know what to do as long as i'm sitting on this bar stool and maybe shooting some pool here and uh-huh. like i got that down i can do that with x amount of alcohol and now when i got to talk to my uncle that i don't get along with or something like uh-huh. that at uh, christmas that it always right. makes me feel awkward you're, in your, uh, you're having to like rattled. take in different <laughs> stimulus that's interacting with the For same sure, yeah. drug in a different your, way your environment will affect that because like your brain like responds um in some of the same centers that um drugs activate to like and they, it responds to novelty so like 
like the nucleus accumbens, for instance, which is like a pleasure center that a lot of drugs activate. That's where dopamine's released when, uh, or not really, it's where it's like perpetuated by cocaine, for instance. So like that, that center of your brain also responds to novelty. So like you, you're encountering a new experience, you're gonna, it's gonna activate your, that brain already a, a little bit more. And so it's like gonna have like peaking, a little perpetuating of the drugs effects um, more so than it would otherwise. So this is, it is like a very home game dependent, like the same way that a player in a new context in like a, in a football game or something like that would be a little bit more rattled because their brain chemistry is responding differently to this different context. Right. So like, so like they might've practiced a specific muscle, you know, movement in a very specific context, but n- now that their brain's all out of whack, their timing's probably off. There's, there's things that will affect you in different contexts. And um, as far as novelty, because novelty isn't always a pleasurable thing no. for people. Yeah. And it's 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 not it, 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 it's kind of a misnomer to call it a pleasure center. It's like a, a very like because it's not that's not exclusively what it does. Like, for instance, that brain gets lit up in response to pain as well. Uh, so it's kind of like, it like a salience detection kind of a, a little bit. Yeah. So kind of the way that like emotional centers of your brain like make um you know, memories stored better. Like you remember the most like, you know, saddest and scariest and happiest moments of your life. It's because you have an emotional attachment to them. Right. And like the, you know, amygdala, which is the emotional center kind of activates parts of your brain that help you store that memory. Yeah. They, more long term. They say, if you're trying to like, remember say a grocery list or whatever, you make uh-huh. up some very highly salient, ridiculous story of like, drowning in toothpaste or you oh know, wow some, some yeah, sort of so thing some, yeah because like me- like fear memories are like the the strongest basically like mm-hmm. that's why like a lot of people's first memory is of something like horrifying uh my first memory is uh breaking my arm it's <laughs> my first clear memory there you go um yeah. mine was mine was puking all over my mom in an airplane on the way to new york <laughs> how old were you i was two yeah yeah i think i was two maybe maybe three i'm pretty sure i was like two yeah, at yeah. the time yeah um it's, i just talked about this recently but uh yeah my dad my dad was flipping me on a bed um uh-huh. and it was like the most fun yeah of course thing imaginable and yeah. then my arm got caught behind my back and it broke and Ouch. it's my very first memory <laughs> my... yeah <laughs> um so 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 memory works off of these kind of high emotional um Mm -hmm. states and so the same thing with the uh uh, what's the name of that um region of the brain again the amygdala is the like emotion yeah the the nucleus accumbens yeah yeah nucleus accumbens is like kind of reactive to i wouldn't necessarily say it's salience because i don't want to say like the wrong thing that's what that's another thing i'm most terrified of is just saying something that like some other scientist would listen to me is like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about that guy's so stupid yeah like when i was listening to the foster all i was like wow this guy really knows his stuff <laughs> I, like, I, I haven't caught him on one misstep yet oh, really <laughs> yeah pretty, well that was also like a very broad yeah it's true um, yeah like i i um and I'm glad that that was covered with you guys. Cause I probably would have forgotten a lot of those things. I've been out of the, out of the game for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. And 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 first off, um, well, this is going to be a bit of a tangent. Um, but how did you how did you get into that? Were you just dreaming about cocaine research since you were like ten years old? Or no, no. I 
seven years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but with my first experience of cooking. What now. do you want to do when you grow up? My first, my first memory was when I uh, went o- OD'd on coke. Yeah, m- most three. most kids were like uh, <laughs> burning ants and stuff like yeah. that. You were giving them like Dude. cough syrup and, and <laughs> trying to get them high. Exactly. Now, um, I it was mostly just undergrad. Uh, you know, in school, I was a bio psych major, which is basically another name for neuroscience. And like my most interesting class and my best professor was taught a lot of like psychopharmacology courses in like you know drugs of abuse or you know clinical drugs things things like that so they had a couple courses in that they were like the most fun i was like oh wow this is really interesting the way that drugs like why people take drugs in the first place how they start how they get off you know like the way that (laughs) we abuse our our brain and body knowing that it's wrong or whatever knowing that it's unhealthy yet we're so compelled to do it was kind of fascinating to me yeah why why do uh, i mean why is like the the general i mean i mean there's got to be a a billion different reasons but what what's kind of some of the general stuff of why people do it in the first place is it just like the the cool part of your brain a little bit like it's it's like it's kind of hijacking natural reward mechanisms so like it we're too smart for our own good like we've figured out ways for us to like synthesize these artificial experiences that mimic and exceed more natural ones. And they're like, wow, we in like in like You the, could go for a run yeah, and yeah. get like endorphins. Yeah, exactly. But who wants to do all that exercise? Right. So it's like a kind of a weird like happenstance the way that like apes can like eat those fermented fruits and be like, ooh, I'm feeling a little buzz. Like they discover it by accident and then like then it becomes the intention of like, oh, I liked that thing that made me feel good. I'm gonna do it again. Yeah. And so like humans do that so much more because we have you know you know a consciousness that can like have uh be aware of our surroundings and cause and effect and and yet once we start doing that like we're not smart enough to overcome our initial inclination weirdly like we don't have the the cognitive control over like all right i've had my fun (laughs) it's just like a weird like more you know, reptilian part of your brain that's just like, you need this drug now. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm taking over. You- I mean, cigarettes looked cool at yeah. first, and now you have, now you're hacking up stuff, uh-huh. and it, now it doesn't seem appealing uh-uh. in any way, right. but you're still drawn to it. You yeah. get, you get hung over, and you swear you're never gonna have another drop of alcohol again in your life. Mm-hmm. And too late. You already handed over the keys to that. The alcohol centers that love it and it's just like get feed me and and this is all still the the kind of nucleus uh, succumbus is is, is nucleus that is that is that just the beginning part of 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 like the pleasure or is, is that also kind of, in part of the addiction as well it's a little both uh so like it's not just you know tied to Drugs, I say, it is a natural, <clears throat> natural reinforcers also light up that area, like sex and food and stuff like that, will, <clears throat> will actually, you know, uh, activate that region. I would say it's part of, it's the end terminus of like the uh, mesolimbic dopamine pathway. So like it starts in the ventral tegmental area. It's a, like a more deep part of your brain that has a bunch of neurons that project dopamine into that. Mm. So like dopamine is what's activating neurons within the nucleus accumbens but it kind of starts from the ventral tegmental area and then like drugs like cocaine for instance 
will just keep dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. So like it won't like uh, stimulate neurons that fire uh, dopamine. They'll just like kind of block the reuptake of dopamine. Ah, so it's like yeah, keeping yeah. dopamine out on the field of like firing up these neurons in that specific pleasure center. So uh, let's talk about the reuptake uh, thing quick, just because it's a little bit of uh, technical stuff that applies oh, right. to so much of, of, of uh, neuroscience and how, sure. so you have, we've kind of, and we covered this a little bit in the foster olive, uh, but you have, um, I don't know how, however, however you want to set yeah. it up. Um, with, you have these the and dendrites yeah and yeah you so, have uh, yeah like a neuron will like connect to a different neuron in a different area of the brain or next to it who knows uh and it has a synapse that kind of connects the two not maybe not physically but like they're very next to each other so one side of the membrane uh is like the neuron that's getting activated and the other side is the one that is activating so it's kind of a a flow of you know uh activation <laughs> yeah so and that's that's the um because the the axon is is putting out neurotransmitters yes. right so so there's like this some sort of like fixed action potential thing that's mm -hmm. activating this neuron right. and it's shooting out these neurotransmitters that are then it, it, it's just like shooting out like a cloud of these right. things and so some like of them are soldiers like it, like you're on a uh, you know battlefield or something like that and you have this conduit like this little tunnel that's just like all right send out all the the guys and then they some of them are getting in and attaching yeah so and some activating. run across and like you know breach the the wall or whatever and activate that neuron the like neuron on the other side and so like they're they're out there they're attacking this other wall not attacking obviously they're just it's not a very antagonistic force i'm just using this metaphor for some reason yeah yeah like, uh so like they're attacking the wall they're like attaching to it they're making hits or whatever and then slowly but surely, eventually, they'll start getting – they'll be reabsorbed by the their own side. Because so, sometimes sometimes that's like turning off. That reabsorption is like mm -hmm. a lock and key mechanism to yeah. turn off the so it knows when to stop yeah. firing out the neurotransmitters. Exactly. And then other times it's more of just like about recycling kind of or – A little of both. Yeah. Yeah, like there, there's different mechanisms for, by which they can reuptake and stuff like that, but – uh, one of the ways that like specifically cocaine targets is like this dopamine transporter. So like that's on that side that like released the soldiers, you know, they like to go attack the other side. So like, that's just like a vacuum that's sucking them back up in. So you're just like, all right, you've, you've attacked enough. Let, you're tired. Come on back in. And, uh, and it blocks and, that recall. And so, and so like the, the cocaine binds to that transporter, that little vacuum that's sucking back up the neurotransmitters and you're saying just like yeah keep going have at it so like it's overstimulating the other side of that um you know on the dendrite basically the the postsynaptic cleft like the yeah the wall that's getting attacked by these uh, soldiers and activating that neuron is uh like they're getting overexposed to them and it's harder for the soldiers the neurotransmitters to get you know recalled ah so it's not like they're getting released at a greater rate or anything like that it's just that they're like staying out there longer and activating the other neuron the postsynaptic neuron uh more so right and then is so is is kind of tolerance about like then then that neuron kind of starts being like well it's going to take more of those now it's going to take uh -huh. more of those neurotransmitters bit, yeah. to get me going because i'm used to this yeah, so higher volume the more the more times you do that and like the more repeatedly you do it 
uh, inconsistently, I guess, is like after weeks and months, you the receptors will decline on the other side. So like, you know, the whole like keyhole thing, there's just gonna be less keyholes for those keys to open. Ah. So like when you, you know, send the soldiers across as keys, you know, or open I'm too many metaphors. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's fine. So so now so now you have uh, there's so, less so, receptors on the other side. So like you can like the, those, you know, little keys or soldiers are are out there, but they're not activating anything because there's nothing for them to attach to because the other side is compensated. Whereas like, hey, well, you overstimulated us no more or you're getting cut off. You only get to activate a couple of different receptors now. Right. And so then when you have your natural amount of mm-hmm. dopamine that isn't from cocaine from yeah. whatever you would normally be getting in your everyday activities right um so so uh, those are no no longer yeah so now your natural baseline state has like lower receptors and like when you have a, no- a natural release of dopamine and nothing's blocking them you're just getting understimulated. so you went from overstimulated all the time your body compensated and now, you're, like when you stop taking cocaine, it's getting understimulated. So that's why you feel such so crappy. How fast does this happen? Because have you done cocaine? You don't I, have to I answer have, that. I have not done. Uh, it. You've never done cocaine. Never done All right. cocaine. Well, I have, and, <laughs> and, and uh, definitely uh, of all of all of the drugs in the world, one of my least favorite. But I will say. Um, Cocaine, if you're listening, don't worry about it. There's plenty of people that love you. Like you're some people's favorite drug. Yeah, you might not be my cup of tea. <laughs> uh, yeah, you'll find a home. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but I, I'm just wondering how fast this stuff works because my experience, and I think this is a very common experience, is that. I would have a line of cocaine and that would be like, you know, it's, it it wakes you up, gives you kind of this energy and a a little bit of euphoria. I I don't know if I'd call it euphoria, but more like confidence or something. (laughs) Um, Sure. And I don't know if, because dopamine seems to be not just a reward mechanism but no. a, a motivator right certainly yeah and, and it has a lot to do with attention as well uh so so it's like all right yeah we we know just what to do here even though you don't have anything to do you're yeah it's like all right I, i'm ready to go and then um and that's all fine and then you have like another line an hour later or something like that mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah that was okay, I yeah. guess. And then you have like another line, and you're like, oh, I think I just kind of hate myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> at, at just a very high rate of speed. Right. <laughs> oh, dopamine also has a lot to do with muscle coordination. So that's why people get like a very physical and also start twitchy, you know, if you do it too much or too long. Ah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Why Why the mouth stuff? Why? Why the, Do you know why there's like clenching of the teeth and... Mm. and um, the king of the lip. I, I heard something no. recently about there's uh, activate some saliva reaction. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know, know anything about the that's, oral that's fine. elements of cocaine. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, like, teeth grinding and yeah. stuff. And Weirdly, like, I, as much as about cocaine as I do know, like, very little of it has to do with humans because <laughs> yeah. all my research was on rats. Right. So I know some very basic, like, neural components to it, but I have no idea about the behavioral 
like other than what happens to the rats for instance right so so, so what exactly is is happening in in these rats and like the studies that well like doing? what i would observe really was like sometimes like talking about the twitchiness is like sometimes they do what is called a stereotypy stereotypy kind of thing where it's like they would get these repeated very quick behaviors kind of like a little um muscle tick in a weird way like they would like kind of do a little dance where they just kind of repeat like there was they were in these like skinner boxes the operant chambers like a box that has levers where you press to earn cocaine right and so they would kind of like just kind of like uh press the lever multiple times and just like do these very rhythmic and very repetitive you know actions where they're pressing lever doing a little dance right next to it Um, even if they're not getting cocaine anymore no, that was when they were on cocaine. Okay, when okay. they were doing too much, basically, they were like, "I love cocaine." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just keep and, on hitting yeah. the more cocaine <laughs> they, button. Your prototypical problem cocaine, uh, <laughs> you know, scenario where it's like this guy's dancing too hard in the middle of the dance floor. Let's stop giving him cocaine for now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like that um, was part of it. Like, that, and then they'd also become more aggressive, like in general. They think they're better than me now. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Full of confidence and hate that I was taking them out of their cocaine chamber. They're like, ah, fuck you. Ah, uh, they'd get feisty. They get a little feisty. Ah, yeah. You don't want to handle the cocaine rats. No. I know. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it never occurred to me. Was there a lot of like individual variants? Would you say in in rats or was Yo, it for sure? A I mean, like uh, there was. Like th- there was like a certain baseline most of them would reach in like seeking cocaine and stuff, but their dispositions were different individually, like already on top of that. But then like once you introduce cocaine to the mix, like some were really nice rats, and then you introduce cocaine, and they were like fucking assholes. Mm. I can say the f word, right? This oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like they, so like some would like their behavior would change once they were on cocaine. Some wouldn't really necessarily. Some were always assholes. Like it. And then, like, some of them would seek cocaine the most, and some were just like, oh, yeah, well, take it, take it or leave it. So, like, and, like, those are rats that are genetically disposed, like, they're bred specifically to, like, more or less seek cocaine. Ah, I see. So, like, there's, like, a, you know, predisposition in them, the way that you can, like, breed rats to be, like, hyperactive, for instance. Right. So, like, they, they do a lot of animal models where, like, they, they know which rats are, like, uh, you know, have a certain behavioral trait, and they'll breed more of them and, like, have these little strains where, like, okay, we know this type of rat you know has hypertension or something like that so it's going to be obese or things of that nature Um, right so like this one was like not specifically i don't think bred for cocaine abuse but like they do know that it does is predisposed to addiction and stuff like that or seeking cocaine at least it's hard Hmm. to say addicted when you're a rat right like what's this rat gonna do for this coke? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you suck a dick for this coke, rat? Yeah, I, I like the rat that's like real respectful of all yeah. the females, and then starts to, uh, uh, <laughs> has a little cocaine and is trying to do it off their nipples. And, um, Deviants. Um, so so then you were kind of studying, um how to get them off of this right so a rat would take a bunch of cocaine over the period a period of weeks uh if not months in an operant chamber where they have a lever where they're pressing to earn cocaine and in that same chamber they would see a light associated there'd be like a little flash bulb above the 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 lever where as soon as they got they press lever enough to get cocaine it would go like cocaine and it'd be it would have a uh, light go on 
So they were associating that light with like cocaine's a coming. Yeah, yeah. And then and and were you were they wearing like little electrodes and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, they. So what they had is um, a intravenous catheter. So I implanted like a little tube into their bloodstream, like kind of like an IV, basically. Mm-hmm. You picture someone with a little thing on their wrist or you know the back of their hand that like you can plug something in and just like start dripping things in there. That was the same thing, other than it was on like, the back of their head. Cause that was the only place they could not chew it off. Uh, so there was like a little, um, <clears throat> you know, opening that we could like, open and close to attach like a little tubing. The cocaine was in saline form. I should also say that they were mm-hmm. not doing lines yeah. uh, off a mirror or anything. They were, they would press a lever and then like a little syringe when they would press enough times would pump cocaine mixed with saline into their bloodstream. So you can get uh, you can get saline form uh, cocaine if you have a good lab hookup. <laughs> uh, would you be able to like drink it or something like that? No, you'd I have don't to think inject you'd it want then. To. If you, yeah, just yeah, to make yeah. your mouth all numb. Yeah, because uh, yeah, cocaine is a you know sodium channel blocker, so it'd be just an anesthetic. Like it'd just make you really numb. Uh, yeah, like if you wanted to mix cocaine with uh, saline, you can and put it in your bloodstream. I don't think that's the best way early, at least not, not a popular way to do it. So how long, uh, how long would it take to get your average, um, uh, rat or mice or whatever addicted to the stuff you said a series of, of well, weeks they, or a month? Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to say addiction, but like when you, you could see a consistent baseline level of cocaine seeking on a specific schedule rewards. So like we didn't want them just to associate the lever, with cocaine we wanted them to associate give them enough time to associate certain cues and contexts with the cocaine it's like they'll be they'll, they'll like cocaine immediately as soon as they find out you press a lever and you get cocaine they'll press it forever yeah um so we would you know do sessions where like you know put them in there for an hour have them press a certain amount of time and like work our way up where like as soon as like uh, they press the lever once and get cocaine. Like the next day, a couple like press it three times to get cocaine. So like we work them way up to like it's a more complicated schedule of award where they have to press it a certain amount of times within a certain amount of intervals. So it's just a <clears throat> more uh, kind of human way of getting it. Like you can't just say like, oh, I want cocaine, and then bam, you get cocaine. You have to kind of put a certain amount of work in a certain amount of intervals, like in human mm. cocaine seeking. Right. So they, you usually get a, a few lines from someone at a yeah. party the first time. And right. then if you really like that, then you got to find a dealer. And that's right. a, there's a whole CD. There's, there's only world. a few people around the world that get cocaine on demand at any time they want. And <laughs> they, you probably know them. <laughs> there's probably <laughs> famous athletes or musicians or politicians. Who knows? Right. But <clears throat> most people have to like, oh, I like, would really want some cocaine right now. I got to go find it. Right. And so like that, that's kind of where we were trying to do is like mimic the more uh, human level of having to seek out and work for the cocaine. And so like once we knew they would work for it and they they would have a certain like number of times they would press the lever per hour. There was like a established baseline where they weren't, you know, uh, changing day to day more than, you know, several presses. So once we had that baseline established of like they love cocaine, they'll work this hard for it we would then take away the cocaine and see how long it would take them to stop seeking it. So they were basically learning that like, okay, I press this lever. I see all the same lights and flashing. I hear the same sounds that go off in the chamber. 
everything is telling me I'm getting cocaine. Why aren't I getting cocaine? And then like after a certain number of days, they just reduce the amount of seeking it. So they would press it, you know, the same amount the first day, the next day it'd be like half the amount they'd press. Like, oh, I'm not getting cocaine. Why am I keep pressing this lever? It's not even working. This thing's broken. I hate it. Right, right. Uh, and so basically like, it's basically like you're getting your dealer cutting you off. Like, hey man, you got a problem. I'm not, you know, going, I'm not going to give it to you. And then you yeah, I, feel, I find a lot of dealers who just have <laughs> yeah. your best interests Exactly. In the way of the good ethical dealer <laughs> that knows once you have a problem to stop dealing to you. Uh, hey man you've just been giving me way too much money in business lately and that's not what i'm about that's what i'm saying like that's why we stop gotta stop locking these dealers up they're (laughs) they're real saviors of our addiction problem uh but hypothetically like this this dealer cut you off or something or maybe you did something wrong and he cut you off you're on probation yeah so you like only can go to him a certain amount of time where you're like damn this guy's not giving me anything so like they're i no longer am associating this dealer with getting drugs or like this this bar or whatever where i'd get it so <clears throat> we then looked at what parts of their brain were getting activated, like when they were learning to no longer associate like these cues and contexts with the cocaine. And like it's kind of a new it's a called extinction learning. They're extinguishing their behavior relative to a scenario like like once you walk into a bar, you no longer go straight to the you know, bartender and ask for a pint of whatever. Right. It's, it's like you're learning to not do something. You're extinguishing that behavior in that context. Mm. And it's kind of a form of new learning. Like you have to like build a new memory of that that competes with the old memory of like, oh, yeah, I just go straight there and I get my beer. Is it like a whole different set of wiring or is it like kind of rewiring that it's those old patterns? It's uh it's kind of like that's what was up for debate. Like, is it unlearning to like no longer associate that with that? Or is a new learning it like more or less it's been shown that the new learning theory has held sway that extinction learning is not just learning to undo something. It's learning to do something that competes and dominates the other form. So there is some degradation of like, I no longer associate that, which is like your, you know, neural connections are not as strong as they used to be. Because they're, they're atrophying. Not, a yeah, they're, yeah, they're not firing as often. So there's going to be some degradation there, but it's not like it's just going and following that pathway and undoing all those connections. It's just, they're not getting used. And then these other connections that you're forming are getting activated and ultimately just persuade you to not do that anymore because it's not worth it. The The trouble really, though, with like this being a drug treatment center is like is uh, it has to like you learning this thing has to be so powerful because your memory of the drug is so powerful. Right. So it has to really be like a disincentive like. Like you have to almost add an element of like, oh, I, if I do, like, not only do I associate this new memory with like not getting drug abuse, but if I do go down the drug abuse route, I there's a punishment there for me. Ah, like you know, kind of like, oh, if I do drugs again, I'll go to jail or something. And this is very kind of difficult to do on a conscious level. You 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 don't you're not conscious of like these neural patterns no, and what no, specific yeah. <laughs> you know you, area. And you just have feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And like and like they and like it's a lot of it's subconscious. Like I, the same way that, um, like I would, uh, go to a house like in Boston. Like I lived at two different places on the same street for two different years. So, and I would like walk home the same way and I would just like go, I would zone out and I would just be listening to a podcast. And then I would just like, after a certain amount of time, I was like, Oh, here's my door. I'll turn in. And then like when I got, gave the new place just down the street from it, 
like on the same block, I would have to learn. It's like, okay, I no longer live there. And like when I was, you know, you learn to like not, you know, a new, you know, habit basically. But like sometimes when I'd be drunk or like in an altered state or like just not thinking enough, I would like be on that same street and fall back into that, you know, same pattern of like going into my old house. Yeah. And only like once I got to the door, I was like, oh, wait, my key doesn't work because I no longer live here. (laughs) So it's like such a subconscious thing. And it's so easy to slip back into that because like that is so ingrained in your brain for so long. You were doing a certain thing that you don't even think about it. I think that's like one of the hardest things about um, drug addiction in humans Mm -hmm. because drugs are already like a nighttime drug like no mm-hmm. no one's getting together for breakfast cocaine you know, <laughs> pe- people are maybe doing breakfast cocaine by themselves or stayed up and like their <laughs> late 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 night cocaine becomes breakfast cocaine yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure there's that right. but but it always you know it always starts you know drinking maybe maybe cigarettes is a completely different thing um mm-hmm. altogether which i i guess kind of um, cancels out my point a little bit, but but I do feel that um, uh, w- with a lot of drugs, it's like it it requires a certain amount of energy to be on top of like thinking about it and finding the right door to walk into and mm-hmm. making the yep. right choices and be disciplined and and you have kind of this ego fatigue throughout the day and then uh-huh. even though you were fine with not doing any drug all day and felt great then you're tired and it's uh-huh. the end of the day and now uh, you, you it, it's it gets very easy to fall into old yeah you, you lose that executive control that you had like we're master of during the regular day when you're at your job like oh i need to make these good decisions right now and then your brain like there is only a certain amount of um you know neural energy you have per day right so, like your brain gets tired like everything else in your body does and it's so, like once you are like tired mentally you're you're kind of uh delegating you know certain tasks of like it's it's actually a healthy way of doing that actually because like you do want to delegate unimportant tasks to like lower habit forming brains so you can just like zone out when you're walking home yeah your brain doesn't want to think about every single step that you're taking in life so yeah it's a healthy way of doing it but like when when part of that habit is like going to do drugs yeah i mean some people's habit is going to a very difficult job every day sure. and and their brain has uh, eventually made it easier for them but mm-hmm. now it's like they're going through the motions and sure. they're uh or or they're really good at um taking you know michael jordan taking a, a last second shot um mm-hmm. that is very difficult just because he's done this mm-hmm. a million times sure. and he doesn't have to consciously think about every angle involved and right. the trajectory and that sort of thing yeah so you train your brain with like a certain s- subconscious muscle and cognitive memory kind of thing like it's it's a healthy way your brain organ like you know conserves energy for the things you actually have to think about mm-hmm uh and so yeah at the end of the day you might be have less you know of a cognitive like oh don't do this and ruin your life you're just like ah i'm like tired and let me just do a quick bump and then that's what i've been doing that's what i've has worked for me for the last whatever and then you forget like oh shit yeah yeah you fall back into that going through the motions yeah i i did i did find of of like the many times that i've like 
um, either like quit things or formed new habits with exercise or mm. something like that where it's building a new habit or getting rid of an old habit or, or whatever it might be. Um, it's, it's often a lot easier when I'm just like, all right, well, I'm just going to focus on this for a few weeks. And to do that, I'm just going to have to take like more naps than normal. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> I, no, I fortunately me. get to, but it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. In your face, everyone. When it's a job. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're destined to, uh, be addicted to whatever your mm -hmm. vice is forever. Yep. Um, so, so, so what were, what were, if if you kind of had finished, um, summing this up already, that's fine. But what, what exactly were you finding in with, with oh, the, right. um, with, with the extinction? Um? Right. So the rats would ultimately, if unmanipulated, they would extinguish their drug seeking behavior because they just realized it wasn't worth it to press a lever in 300 times for nothing. So <clears throat> that was the competing memory of like, oh, I no longer associate, I associate this, this light with just a bunch of work that I doesn't get me cocaine. So that's like the new memory that's competing with the old one where he's like, I press a lever to get cocaine, hooray, and this light goes off. Mm. So the regions of the brain we were studying were like parts of the hippocampus, which is like generally a, a memory center. Um, what you, when you're new learning basically happens there a lot. Um, all, as well as the amygdala, which is the emotional centers we're talking about, yep. and the prefrontal cortex. So those are the three um, ways that we were looking, three regions of the brain we were looking at. And see. prefrontal cortex is way more involved in like impulse control. And a little stuff, bit. Right? This one, I was looking at, like, because the, the prefrontal cortex is so complicated because it is like the thing that makes us human. Mm -hmm. is, is Generally, that's the biggest part of the brain that is that like distinguishes us from every other animal is like the so, latest to evolve. Yeah, it's it's and the biggest and best and most complicated because we have such uh, complicated behaviors and, and consciousness. We're aware of ourselves. That's where that's located. Mm. So I was looking at a very specific part of that called the infralimbic corp, uh, prefrontal cortex that is responsible for storing the memories of don't do something like a competing, like a, a behavioral inhibition center, basically. So like the, the thing that would tell you, once you've learned something to uh, to not do something, that's where it would store that memory. So like in a very uh, quick recap of like how the brain works in storing memories. So like the hippocampus and prefrontal cortex are doing this kind of complicated, complex math of like, oh, I'm learning something. This is exciting. I've, I've learned a new behavioral task or something. That's hippocampus. Um, the amygdala is kind of regulating that where like it's assigning emotional salience to that mm. where it's like, oh, I've learned something and it's important because this is how I get cocaine or how I hurt myself with cocaine or something like that. This is how I uh, fear. So like those if you're if you're walking down the street, uh -huh. um, you, you you don't need to learn every bit of the sidewalk, but yeah. you, you like want to know house... where the pothole is. Yeah. Or the, the house with the Rottweiler with the long leash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You remember that part. So like that's the amygdala that's helping you store stuff in the hippocampus. OK. So and hippocampus is involved in generally short term memory, like uh, days to weeks kind of thing. So like. You know, I remembered you were coming over today because yesterday we talked about it and all that stuff like that. So, like, that's the kind of memories that are stored in your hippocampus. When it's like, remember that time we met in Boston six years ago or eight years ago, whenever it was, that's in now in my prefrontal cortex. So my hippocampus oh. has transferred that long-term memory, that, like, thing that has happened part of my life 
like kind of like semantic and episodic has like kind of transferred into that long-term memory storage in the prefrontal cortex. Ah, I so, didn't know that was the case. And what was what was the part of that that you the part of the prefrontal cortex that oh, you Oh, well, I was talking about the infralimbic prefrontal cortex. That does not exist oh. in humans by the way. Oh, okay. That is, that is only in rats and like right. it, it correlates to a different part of your brain in humans. It does exist in humans, it just is in I think the uh, anterior cingulate cortex. Okay. Whatever, just like we'll talk about a general broad strokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for this thing. But yeah, so long-term memories are generally stored in your prefrontal cortex. Oh. Um, so what I found was that like the uh, using manipulations of their actual brain, like little tiny cannulae, little tiny tubes that would go directly above that part of the brain, we'd like manipulate that physically with like injecting a drug that would knock it out, like lidocaine. You know, lidocaine numbs you or whatever. It also oh. does the same thing to your brain. So if you pump a tiny, tiny drop of lidocaine into a specific brain region, that brain region can't work now. Hmm. So it's just like kind of knocked out. So we would see when we would knock out certain parts of the brain, like the hippocampus and the amygdala, they couldn't learn that it no longer associated um, those cues and context with cocaine. So they would just keep pressing indefinitely. So they would never reduce their behavior. So we were kind of seeing like, oh, these brain regions are responsible for them learning to get off it. Hmm. Um, and what we hypothesize is we only did it for a few days before they, whatever is like, it w wasn't a long enough timeline for them to transfer that memory to the prefrontal cortex. So like my finding was kind of a null for the prefrontal for the first few days, but probably would after weeks later would, would probably store that memory there. Hmm. Yeah. So like your, your, you know, contextual, like, cause your associative memory also is in your hippocampus. You associate cues and context, not just everything else. Like, general memory center, hippocampus, like that was important. The emotional part of it was important. And eventually your prefrontal cortex is important for learning to get off of it. Hmm. And was there, was there any like, um, uh, what are, so what were the withdrawal symptoms? Like, uh, was there any, or, or were they just like, um, hitting yeah, well, they the were lever? irritable for sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they were frustrated when they were, when in that, you know, same exact place they've always gotten cocaine and then didn't get it. They were pissed off. I remember <laughs> I was on a I I was on a lot of painkillers last year with my injury and mm -hmm. and then like as I was taking less of those um, and eventually stopping. If if I went if I went from like doing a regular amount to being like oh these these last four these last few days, three or four days or whatever, I haven't been in much pain, so I don't really need those. Mm -hmm. I would find myself being exceptionally irritable. I'd really? catch myself all the time getting <laughs> like really irritable. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, part of it might've been too, that I wasn't managing that pain at that. was so pain makes you irritable as well. But, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I was, I definitely would feel myself getting cranky. But mm -hmm. uh, but that's also a different drug entirely, which uh, like oxycotton or hydrocodone or whatever. I mean that that stuff just feels like uh, um, heaven, kind of. <laughs> I, not not to encourage it, but right, it, does, right. it does feel like. But if you're love in a little searing bit. pain, there is a certain heaven you can visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and yeah, it was uh, it was strange because I would feel totally fine like i wasn't consciously aware of any withdrawal symptoms i didn't really feel like 
having painkillers or anything like that or i wasn't like oh i need to get some like i had some i just wasn't taking them and then i would just notice myself like wow you're kind of cranky today um i was wondering it and it doesn't sound like this is the case and but maybe there's been some other research on this instead of instead of just like cutting off the rats Mm -hmm. and training them and being like uh, okay now now they're learning that this is all all of this action um doesn't lead to cocaine anymore and they're they're wasting all of their energy pressing this dumb lever for no reason um is is there instead um has has punishment been studied like uh, delivering shocks i i didn't study that specifically it would not surprise me like if they would do that like instituting a, a, a you know demotivator you know to disincentivize that action like that actually might be what it takes because like it like i said like it is so easy to slip back into a certain habit or behavior even if you've learned that it's not um you know beneficial to do it you might just do it because it's easily just as easy as doing something else it's you know so easy to slip back into that unless you have a negative connotation so like maybe you've formed a memory that competes with it and wins out 90 percent of the time but all it takes is that one time to relapse and you're like oh right i remember how fun this was yeah yeah it's yeah. that one slip up so like you're trying to like is it also those uh, sorry i cut you off no, no, yeah, are, yeah. Are, are those um are do those atrophied um uh n- n- kind of neural patterns or connections do, do they come back really quickly or yeah let's i think it's called uh re I'm trying to think it's not relapse it's, if there's a um retrieval memory retrieval mm. like yeah like they like they they are like somewhat dormant but the second they're reactivated they wouldn't like jump up to the same level it was before p- probably but it, it is hard to de- degrade them to the point where like they wouldn't work yeah so there is probably like riding a bike yeah well a little bit uh those i mean you know, <laughs> <laughs> donuts you know getting muscle coordination down right, yeah, right, yeah. but right. the same yeah the same thing same concept is just like oh yeah do you remember like it's gonna come flooding back how much you loved cocaine when you do it like for that like time when you relapse right so it's not like that's that's the danger of it right, really is like that you want to just reduce relapse rates at all costs because as soon as they do it's so easy to get back into that pattern and so so how long did you do this work again six years Six years, and then you moved to New York for comedy, mm-hmm. um, and then and that's when you 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 gave up the old science and mm-hmm. focused on on uh, on comedy. Yeah, uh, and 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 the podcast. So that's like the way that I'm somewhat staying in science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Raj, my host, uh, with for that, we also do some research on like comedy in general and stuff, but not nothing to speak of just yet. Um, Raj Sivaraman. <laughs> Raj Sivaraman. Ah, almost got his and name correct. Joe Zimmerman is the other co-host of that podcast. Raj and I both have PhDs, but Joe—he uh, it was actually Joe's idea. He just loves science, and he's just like, "I'll ask my two scientists buddy to do a podcast so we can talk about it," and we do. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Um, all right. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, uh, what is the charity or nonprofit of the week that you'd like oh. to plug? <clears throat> <laughs> the the nonprofit of this week and every week if you're doing it right uh is planned parenthood planned parenthood uh, yes. everybody way uh, better than the other group unplanned parenthood yes. that just like injects um 
uh, that just like drops orphans off at at uh, on doorsteps and yeah, that's the worst like that. Halloween prank. <laughs> 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 that's both a trick and not a treat. <laughs> Those orphan dropping out drop off scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Planet Parenthood. They they they're fine. And like, listen, I'm not gonna try to claim it's not killing babies. It is, but babies need to be killed sometimes. <laughs> Baby's trying to, to ruin your life. Why not just take them out? <laughs> Harvest their organs. They're delicious. Well, it's uh, <laughs> uh, unlike uh, like I'm, I had a, a Planned Parenthood tweet recently, and then some someone was like, uh, I, "I think it was uh, what it was that very thing about if you vote against Planned Parenthood, you should have an orphan dropped off at your door yeah. to care for." Th- right, right. And someone was like, uh, "So someone was like." Uh, uh, well, uh, are you against beating women? Have you ever cared for battered women? But it's like uh, the point is, is that caring for, uh, like, being against women being beaten isn't creating like a whole nother problem. Right. You know, it's not like, well, now <laughs> these women are getting all uppity and they're out of yeah, control. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas like Planned Parenthood, have, having unwanted children is, um, I, well, I'm, I'm gonna be as bold as to say, I think ruining. Um, the world. <laughs> I, I think there's. Yeah. I think there's way too many yeah. uh, unwanted and unplanned children and people. Poverty, all that, that stuff. Don't know what they're doing with them, and mm-hmm. sad orphanages, and it's a sad situation. Um, but uh, yeah, so we don't mind a little political controversy if it's not your cup of tea. Go and donate to a different charity organization yeah. that another scientist has plugged. Um, well. Um, Thanks, Jono. Uh, what do you uh, What do you want to plug? What's your What's your Twitter? Your website? All of that oh, yeah. good stuff. Um, I'm at Jono Zalay for pretty much every social media. So J O N O. Uh, it's like Bono, but with a J. That's how mm-hmm. I describe it, which is unfortunate because Bono sucks. Uh, <laughs> Jono Zalay, and it's J O N O Z A L A Y. So I'm JonoZalay.com at JonoZalay on all forms of social media. That's the benefit of having a uni- unique name. Is that like no one's taken John Ed Zalay anything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have all those. Um, I have an album coming out in October. I think October 30th is the tentative release date. I actually recorded it at Madison where you did. Oh, nice. Uh, Isn't that club a dream? It's so great. I love that club a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, State Street Comedy Club. Yeah, or, Comedy, or club com- on Comedy Club on State, rather. Yeah, yeah. in Madison. I always Wisconsin. mix that up. Shout out to them. They're great. I've um, recorded two albums there. Was this your first? It is. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. Do you um, have a name for it? Tentatively, yes. It is going to be called Snake Oil. Uh, tentatively, <laughs> uh, yes is a good name. Tentatively, for yes. <laughs> but like, uh, I think so far we're leaning towards uh, Snake Oil. Awesome. Uh, is the name of it so far. If it's not, I'll tell you to edit it out. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we'll no problem. We'll whatever plug. Actually, I, I don't think this is coming out for a month or so, so so let me know. Sure. Um, and uh, congratulations on that. Jono is a super, super funny guy. I've, I've known him um, for eight years now, and I, uh, I've i always loved his comedy, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your uh, your past life and all of your information i also like the idea of like a a pro-lifer listening to this and not being upset about what we said about Mm -hmm. planned parenthood but then being like 
what's he mean Bono sucks? <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope that's what people get worked up about. Joshua Tree changed my life. <laughs> Joshua Tree was fine. I like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Jano, for coming on the show. Thank you, Shane. Thank you guys for listening and a special bit of gratitude for all of you that um, have written reviews on iTunes and shared this with your friends and spread the word for me and and tweeted about it and all that good stuff that helps out so much and makes things easier for me and makes it easier for me to get guests uh, when I have a um, more and more popular podcast to uh, try to get them on um, and, and more of those nice reviews that I can show them ahead of time so uh so thank you very much for that and um i wanted to say next week uh i'm very excited next week's episode is super cool um i i was a little worried when i first some sometimes um when lining up guests and everything else and this is still in the first year but i do sometimes wonder and worry down the line if we're going to run out of topics to talk about and I don't, uh, I don't know why I ever think that because that never happens to be the case. Um, next week is no exception. We we talk about the evolution of language a bunch and how, um, and and how, basically uh, a lot about why humans a bunch, uh, humans all over the world speak all these different languages in the first place. Why we aren't all speaking one language. Um, and uh, so a lot of evolution ideas and a lot of really interesting stuff with how language has been shaped in different ways depending on the environment, depending on the physical environment, depending on the social environment, how many people are around has, uh, has changed the different grammatical structures in various languages. And I think it's a really fascinating and mind-blowing topic. It's one that I hope that we talk a lot more about in the future. I don't know near enough about it, and I think it's um, so absolutely fascinating and uh, just very in line with um, what this podcast is all about. Um, so I'm, I'm in Madison next week talking with Gary Lupian about that, so make sure and tune into that one. And thank you guys for being curious and interested and bright and smart and creative and all of those other things that I imagine that you are. Goodbye. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. and he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself (laughs) is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, 
just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich, I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs> 